All right, we are in Galatians chapter 3. Happy Mother's Day to the moms, obviously. Um, I gotta, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my mom, and then I'm going to ask for your help. Um, my mom is like truly one of the last, like, I think, like people from like the old, old school, like she grew up with six siblings and um, they didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't even really have outdoor plumbing. It was just the house out there that you went to. And so she grew up like doing puzzles and doing nothing like all the time. And she was perfectly content with that. And she still to this day is perfectly content to sit. She would, she used to uh, babysit my youngest for uh, a couple days a week. And I would come home for lunch, and she would just be sitting on the couch, no TV on, looking out the window. And I'm just, I'm a little bit envious, like I want to have some of that. And I'm like, how do you do that uh, in, a, in a day and age where everyone's obsessed with just constantly being entertained by something? But that's who she is. So she is like the least materialistic person that, I've, that I know of. And she also is perfectly content by herself. So she doesn't like gifts, and she's okay if she doesn't get visitors. And it's Mother's Day, and I really have no clue what to do today. What do I get someone that doesn't want to be showered with gifts and that doesn't really care if I even stop and see her? So if you have any suggestions, this is my help. Um, this is what I'm asking for, for help. If you, have, if you have a mom like that and you've uh, nailed it on the gift department, please stop and talk to me because I really don't know what to do today on Mother's Day. I always struggle with this because I don't know what to get someone that really doesn't want anything. So there's my plea to you. Galatians chapter 3. Um, Paul is again telling us in Galatians chapter 3 that it is faith alone that justifies us and not the law and not circumcision. And I just want to encourage us as we get into Galatians chapter 3 uh, to let these truths sink down deep into our hearts and our souls and embrace them. Because we can have the attitude of we just went over this last week. We just went over this the week before and the week before and the week before. And if the text says it a bunch, like we're just, we're going to preach it a bunch. That's just the way that it goes because that's what the text says. So allow these truths to sink down deep. It's not, we're not opening God's word looking for new things that we need to hear. We're looking for the same truths to pound us over and over again, to chip away at us and form us more into the image of Jesus. We're not looking for new things. In fact, if someone comes up and says, I've found something new in the Bible, that should be really a huge red flag for us. We're not looking for new things. We need to hear the same truth that we are sinners and that God has sent Jesus to save us. That's what we need to hear. So that's what we're going to hear. And in Galatians, Paul seems pretty upset in this, in this letter. He, he, first of all, he has a short introduction into Galatians. Uh, that's not normal for him. He, he's astonished. He says that he's astonished. He's saying that some people should be accursed. And then he doubles down on it and says it again. And now to open uh, chapter 3 where we are this morning, he is calling the Galatians foolish. This is how important it is to get some of these foundational truths of Scripture right. And, and I don't know of a more foundational truth in all of Scripture than that of us being justified by faith alone. Does a saving faith in Jesus transform us and prepare us for good works? 
100% yes. If your life has not been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then neither has your heart. That's just the way it is. You are not saved if you are not putting sin to death in an imperfect way and being formed more like Jesus. You're not saved if you're not doing that. Even if it's a tiny bit at a time. But if there is no fruit of good works, then there is no root of salvation. However, those good works do not serve in any way as something for us to stand on and say, see God, I did this. I got this going for me. They are simply the result of the work that God has done by grace through faith in our hearts. We are justified by faith alone. Uh, Many times we will hear a complaint You'll hear a complaint in the world that says that the, the church just uses doctrine to divide it. Doctrine divides churches. And I would agree with that 100%. Doctrine does divide. And it, when it's doing its job, doctrine divides. And that's what we see with Paul and these Jewish Christians that are trying to make people um, get circumcised and follow the law. Paul uses doctrine to divide truth from untruth. So in this case, we have Jewish Christians who have abided by the law since God gave it to Moses more, more than a thousand years previous to this, thousands of years previous to these writings. Since then, they have added much of their own rules onto what God had given them. So God had given them the law, not as a means to save them, but as a way for them to live a separated life from the rest of the world. And one of the things included in these laws and commands was circumcision. We went over this in the previous weeks. Circumcision was what God gave to Abraham in Genesis 17 as a sign of their covenant. God told Abraham that he will multiply him and that he will make him fruitful and that his offspring will be as many as the stars of the sky. And that's fantastic. That was his covenant with Abraham. But Abraham's end of the deal was circumcision. And if you read, I'm going to read real quick in Genesis This all builds into Galatians. So if you read in Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14, you can can see why the Jewish Christians were like still thinking that they need to abide by the laws and the circumcision. This is what it says in Genesis 17, 9 through 14. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me, you, and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with you your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is brought, bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. You can see why they held to that. Also, that's more times than I care to say circumcision and foreskin for the rest of the year. So I'm, I'm hopefully done with that. But as, as awkward and as weird as this seems to cling to something like circumcision, you can see why the Jewish Christians think that people need to be circumcised in order to truly be saved. God said that uncircumcised people were cut off and have broken his covenant. 
But Paul keeps pleading with these Gentile Christians that what actually justifies us before God is our faith, not our practice of a ceremony or our adherence to a law. And in this part of the text, we're going to look at three different things here in, in chapter 3. We're going to look at Paul's questions for the Galatians. We're going to look at Paul's example for the Galatians. And we're going to look at Paul's encouragement for the Galatians. Uh, we will see that really what has always justified God's people has been their faith in God. It's always been faith. It's never been the law. So we're going to dive right in. Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to look at Paul's questions to the Galatians. He's got some questions here for them. And, and in verse number 1 of Galatians 3, he says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I just want to read that very first part. Who has bewitched you? I think it's interesting that Paul asked the Galatians, who has bewitched them? Uh, the word that, you, that Paul uses isn't translated as who tricked you or who fooled you, but it's who bewitched you. There is some sense in the word bewitched that you have been attracted to this or you have, you have an interest in this. It's, it happened to me. I was minding my own business and my wife bewitched me with her good looks and she pulled me in and I was bamboozled. But this is the, the same language that Paul is using here today. And I got to tell you, on the surface, circumcision doesn't seem like something that would be very enticing. Like it's easy to think, oh, this beautiful woman bewitched me. But circumcision and, and the law, like, yeah, I'm going to use that to, to, to bewitch you, to attract you to Christianity. That seems weird that you would use that as something. But I think what is happening is the law and, and circumcision, they give, you, they give you something to hold on to. They, they, they mark something. Uh, what, what day we put our faith in Jesus' work on the cross, that seems a little bit hard to grasp. But, but I did this, 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 and this, and on this day I was circumcised. That is a stamp, and it's, it's, that's appealing. And even if we have to do that to, to stamp it, okay, we'll do it, because that gives us something. That gives us a day and a time and a place. And so he tells them through this question, you guys have been bewitched. They've, they've fooled you into this. They've enticed you into thinking that this is the way to salvation. And he, he, he reminds them in the second part of that verse there. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He reminds them that Jesus died a brutal public death. A death that made no legal sense, but all the sense in the world scripturally. Uh, why would he have even needed to be crucified for our sins, according to the scripture, if we still needed to be circumcised for our justification, or if we still needed to adhere to the law for our justification. It was before your eyes that he was publicly portrayed as crucified. And then in verse 2, he asked him another question. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? How, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, we don't have the time today, but you can trace clear through the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is received by faith. But we are given the Holy Spirit upon salvation, which is by faith. That is wildly de debated today. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is applied to us upon our faith. So Paul picks 
right back up with another question in verse number three. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Look, if you've received the Holy Spirit, which Ephesians 4.30 says has sealed us for the day of redemption. If you've received the Holy Spirit by faith, are you now being kept saved? Are you being sanctified by works of the flesh? His plea is this. If you are saved by faith, you are kept saved by faith. And he forms the question another way in verse 5. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Does God, does does the same God who supplied the Holy Spirit and works all of these miracles that you have seen, does he do that by the law or by faith? Paul's questioning these Gentiles and he's trying to lead or I'm sorry, the Galatians, and he's trying to lead these Galatians to a logical conclusion that if God has initiated our salvation through his work on the cross and it it has started by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, then how does it make any sense for us to have to finish out our salvation with works of the law? Do you... He says this so many times, and I, got, I, I feel like we need to say it so many times, because do you know how many different denominations and, and so Christians out there that are saying, I believe something very similar to this, that yes, we need to believe in Jesus' work on the cross, and yes, we need to confess our sins, but we need to maintain our salvation on our own. We have to do something to maintain it. And, and God's not going to take our salvation for us, take it back from us per se, but we will forfeit our salvation over to him if we don't do something to maintain our salvation. Is this not the exact same thing that Paul is fighting against here? If we are justified by faith, we are kept justified by faith. We, like Paul, should be able to ask these questions in Scripture and draw a logical conclusion based on Scripture that shows us that faith alone is what justifies us before God. And if faith alone justifies us before God, then faith alone keeps us justified before God. That is Paul's questionings, his questions for the Galatians. Now uh, we have Paul, he's going to give an example to the Galatians, an example of why they are saved by faith and not the law. Paul in this day is constantly fighting the notion that he is not a real apostle. Rick, I think, went over this a little bit. Um, So he, and even to this day, his writings are often discredited in the Bible. Uh, People will say that Paul has made up a new gospel. There are there are uh, people that say yes they they adhere to God's word but they throw out all of Paul's writings because they don't believe that he's truly an apostle. So he's always fighting against this. So I love that Paul's example of being saved by faith is from the Old Testament. Uh, Because something that people often, I hear people often ask, well, how were people saved back in the Old Testament? And we can hear, we can see here from Paul's example from the Old Testament, people have been saved the same way for all of eternity. It is their faith in God that has saved them. So Paul's example for the Galatians is out of the Old Testament. And I'm going to read Galatians 3, verses 6 through 9, and then we will 
trace back what he is saying back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12 through 22. Okay, so Galatians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. The, um, sorry. <laughs> Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. There is so much in these four verses. There's plenty here for a whole other sermon, a whole other couple sermons. But I want to take a quick dive into the covenant that God made with Abraham so that we can better understand uh, that it is faith that has always been what has justified us before God. And so we can see that what Paul is talking about in this example that he's using is to prove that faith has always justified us. And it's not the law, and it's not circumcision, as mentioned earlier in Galatians. So turn to Genesis chapter 12. This is going to be a little bit of an exercise. Try to follow along. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 12, where God was making a covenant with Abraham. This is the story that that Paul is using to prove that we are justified by faith. I'm going to read Genesis 12, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, by the way, Abram is just Abraham's name before God changed it to Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and lot with him. So in those verses, we see a covenant that God has made with Abraham. That's his promise. I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to bless. The whole world is going to be blessed through you. And then if you move on through chapters 12 and 13 and 14, we're not going to read them all, but if you go through those, you will see that Abraham and Lot start to go their separate ways. Lot gets in some trouble. Abraham has to rescue him. Abraham receives a blessing. Now we flip ahead to chapter 15. Remember, this is Paul's story about proving that Abraham was already justified by faith. In chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 1, they revisit this covenant. God comes and revisits this covenant that he had already made with Abraham. It says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. What is that reward? I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. You're going to be a great nation. All the nations will be blessed through you. Um, Abraham reminds God as if he needed to be reminded that he has no offspring. I don't have any kids. How can you bless the whole world through me? I don't even have any children. Uh, God again in verse 5 and 6 reminds him. It says, Genesis 15, 5 and 6, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. be." In verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
So God makes this covenant with Abraham. And at this point, where is the law? Where is circumcision? Nowhere to be found. Moses isn't even born yet. So the the law has not been given. God has not given his people the law. And yet Abraham's faith is what has made him righteous before God. Now in this covenant, this covenant gets expanded on. We're going to go a little bit more into this. So hang with me. There are two types of covenants. Now I'm just going to tell you. If you want to look up a really good sermon on this, um, Tim Keller has a great sermon on what I'm about to go over. And I honestly stole a lot of this from him, but he stole it from the Bible, so I feel pretty good about it. So if you want to listen to a great sermon on that, Tim Keller, on this topic right here. There are two types of covenants that God made with his people. There are an unconditional covenant, and there's a conditional covenant. So an unconditional covenant, obviously... There's no conditions for you. I'm going to bless you no matter what. A conditional covenant. I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you if you do this, this, and this. Okay? And the rest, keep that in mind. In the rest of chapter 15, we get to read about this covenant that God makes with Abraham. So God just told Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And the rest of chapter 15, they're going to act out this covenant ceremony. Now this is foreign to us. Because we don't have covenant ceremonies in our culture. But in this culture, in the ceremony, this is what they would do. They would take animals. And you can read this in the rest of chapter 15. They will take an animal, several animals. They will cut the animals in half. It's brutal, I know. And they will lay animal here and an animal here, animal here, animal here. Half of it on this side, half of it on this side. And they'll make like a little path down through here. And the people that are covenanting together will walk through that, pass through those pieces of those animals together. That's what they did. And what they're saying is, if I don't uphold my end of the covenant, do to me as has been done to these animals. May I be cut into pieces. May I be mutilated if I don't uphold my end of the covenant. And if you don't uphold your end of the covenant, may you be mutilated and cut up into pieces like these animals. It's very vivid, I know. But this is what God is talking about. So, so in verse 9, when God says, go get some animals, Abraham knows what's happening. He's like, okay, we're doing a co- he, he's going to seal this covenant with this. We're going to cut these pieces up, and we're going to pass through these pieces to seal this covenant. The covenant that we've talked about, that God's going to bless Abraham and, and give him, uh, make him a great nation. That's what they're doing. They're sealing it up. Now, typically, you're passing through these pieces together to seal the covenant. Now, imagine, I just want to bring it to our terms today. Imagine for a second that you have bought a car, and the salesperson's like, okay, I just need you to sign here, and we're all set. You can drive away. And you're like, just a second. I brought some livestock with me. We're actually going to slaughter these here in the parking lot, cut them in half, and you and I are going to pass through these pieces together. Because if I don't make my payment, you're going to cut me up like an animal. And if you don't uh, um, honor this warranty, I'm going to cut you up into pieces. So we're going to walk through these pieces together. We don't really do that, which I'm thankful for it personally. But that's what they did. This is their covenant ceremony. And in verse 12 through 16, this is what happens in this ceremony. It says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, 
And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here. And the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So he's reiterating this covenant to him. And then in verse 17, it says this, When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So what happens in this ceremony is God puts Moses in a deep, dark sleep, and God passes through the pieces, a, a flaming torch. God himself passes through these pieces by himself. What does that mean? There is great significance for us for the Galatians in this story. God is saying, I will uphold this covenant to bless the world through you. If I can't uphold my end of the covenant, and if you can't uphold your end of the covenant, let it be done to me like is done to these animals. If I don't make a great nation of you, if I don't bless the world through you, may I be mutilated, may I be cut up, like these animals. Then in, in verse 17, he expands and he includes circumcision in this as, as Israel's part. Now, hang with me. This all ties back to Galatians. Now we know that Israel was not faithful. Did they not wander and seek after other gods and, and all of these other things? They did terrible things in the sight of God. But God made an unconditional covenant with them. And they broke it. So what does this mean? This means that God has to do to himself as, he, as was done to those animals. That's what he covenanted with. That's what he promised Abraham when he passed through the pieces. And that's exactly what God did in sending Jesus to the cross to pay and fulfill this covenant. He was beaten. He was torn. He was mutilated. His infinitude became, became finite. He became a man. He was unrecognizable as a man because he was fulfilling this covenant. He upheld when we did not uphold the covenant. That's why when Jesus comes in Matthew 5 verse 17, he says this, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The covenant that Jesus was fulfilling was right here. He is fulfilling all of the law. And now all who have faith in him, just like Abraham, are justified. This is why Jesus, hanging on the cross, beaten, disfigured, unrecognizable, this is why he cried out before he yielded up his spirit. He cried out, it is finished. It's done. It's over. That, that part's over. That's the example that Paul is giving to prove that we are justified by faith in God. That's why he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And then in verse 7, he says, those of us that believe and have faith in Jesus' work are the actual sons of Abraham. Not the physical descendants. This is what the Jewish Christians would cling to. Well, we're physical descendants of Abraham. It's not that the physical descendants that are doing rituals and keeping traditions. 
Paul goes over this in Romans chapter 9 when he says, Not all of Israel's descendants are actually Israel, but it is those of the promise that are the actual sons of Abraham. That's how God preached the gospel to Abraham. That's how God blessed all the nations and made Abraham's offspring more than he could number. Because we, right here, are the offspring. We're the offspring of Abraham. It is our faith that binds us together more than bloodline. That's what Paul means in verse 9 when he says, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That's us. It's always been faith that has justified us before God. It's not Paul making up some new doctrine. That's why he goes back to the Old Testament and says, it's always been this way. This has been God's plan since the very beginning. This was God preaching the gospel to Abraham before the law was ever even in place. Before circumcision was even a thing. Now, if we go back to Galatians... I'm going to read Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You are cursed under the law because if you are using the law as a means to make you right before God, you must uphold it perfectly. Part of the law given says that you have to keep these things and do them. If you're going to use that as grounds to justify yourself before God, then you've got to do every little thing right. So if these Galatians, along with the Jews, want to cling to the law, they must uphold every last bit of it. So that makes Paul draw the most logical conclusion of all time in verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. I mean, amen to that. No one is doing that. No one is upholding the law perfectly. No one has ever done that. A lot of people have lived in the history of the world, and there has been a lot of things, there hasn't been a lot of things that have not been done. If you flip through the Genesis, the Guinness Book of World Records, people are doing some fascinatingly dumb things. And they're doing some neat things. And they're doing some weird things. There's not a lot left that hasn't been done. But no one has ever upheld the law perfectly. That is why he says what he does in verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus became the curse for us so that Faith in him, accomplishing and fulfilling the law, would be imputed to us as righteousness. Now we skipped over a little phrase there, and I want to go back to that because I believe that is Paul's encouragement to the Galatians, and I want that to be our encouragement here today. Uh, In verse 11, it says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And that's Paul's encouragement to the Galatians. And that's my encouragement to us today. The righteous shall live by faith. Paul is telling the Galatians, and he would tell us today, to live by faith. Live as if Jesus' work on the cross finished off the curse of the law. There's freedom in that. Don't put the restraints of the law on yourself that Christ paid for on the cross. That's 
actually trampling on the cross. That's like saying, I got this, God. Thanks a lot for dying on the cross. You initiated this whole thing. But from here on out, I'll take care of the rest of it. You can't take care of the rest of it. Because the righteous shall live by faith. And I want to give an example as a means of encouragement for us as how I have actually seen our church body live by faith. We currently live in a very skeptical world, and I probably am one of the chief skeptics in this room. Like, I feel like I'm always like, yeah, right, that, yeah, right, motives behind that, that's not, he didn't mean that. I feel skeptical, honestly. People are very suspicious and leery of everyone and everything, and probably for pretty good reason. There are a lot of people taking advantage of different people and of different situations. Everyone's a little bit hesitant to give their time and their efforts and their money to things because it seems like we're just a little bit taking advantage of everything and we're all suspicious. And what happens is, as a result of that, we as a society become less generous and more just grumpy, honestly. But that is not what has been displayed at Proclamation Church. I watch every week as people, people joyfully come in and they give their time and efforts to pitch in and make this all happen. All of these chairs get set up. All of these chairs get torn down. 80 people are fed every week. People's kids are cared for in the nursery. People are up here singing. There's, they're just putting this together all week so that they can do this for us. Uh, that is people giving other time. I have seen more than a few times that we have had someone in the church have a financial need and the church pitch in and give thousands of dollars. Not, not like, oh, here's 20 bucks. I hope that helps out. I'm talking thousands of dollars as a church we have given to people. It would be very easy for us to be skeptical and suspicious in these cases. But the response of our church has been a response that has been um, generous and loving. That's actually what it looks like to live by faith. We, we aren't saying, well, we live by faith. God saved me, so now I can enjoy sin. It's actually the exact opposite of that. God has saved me by faith, and I am now free from the entrapment of this world, and I can live a life that isn't as self-centered as it used to be, and I can live in, a, in an open-handed way. I can joyfully and open-handedly and in love give my time and my talent and my money. I can give that stuff. Why can I do that? Because verse 14 is true. Because it says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We have received the promised spirit through faith. We're not using all of our energy laboring to receive the spirit. And then we got nothing left to give. We've already received the Spirit through faith. We now are free to live by faith just like Abraham did. I heard this, uh, someone say this. I didn't really fact check this. So take this for what it's worth. Uh, God came to Abraham four times in the book of Genesis through chapters 12 and 22. These are the four things that he came with. Number one, he told Abraham, Leave your country and everything familiar. Number two, he comes to him and says, you will be blessed and the whole world through you will be blessed. Number three, Abraham goes to God and says, you haven't even given me a son. And God says, wait. 
And then number four, God gives him the son, and God comes back to Abraham and says, okay, I'm going to need you to offer up your son as a sacrifice. Those are not the most, imple- the most pleasant encounters with God. But each time, Abraham moved forward in faith. It is for good reason that Paul uses Abraham as the example in this text. He was a man that moved forward in faith. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us, keep moving forward in faith. Give your time, give your talents, give your treasures. There's a little illustration with the letter T. Your time, treasures, and talents, give them. Contend for the faith. Tell people about Jesus. Share the gospel. Ask difficult questions that push people to Christ. Believe that what Jesus did on the cross finished the work that needed to be done to justify you before God. And now we can actually live by faith. That is an exciting news. Let's, let's pray. God, I uh, just pray that as we, we walk out our lives, that it would be done in a way that our faith is evident, not just, um, not just to ourselves, to encourage ourselves up, but to others. May we build each other up in faith. May we uh, give our time, our treasures, our talents to see the kingdom of God um, advanced. May we do all that we do just in an open-handed way, believing that our sins have been paid for, not struggling, not um, trying to impress you or to, to gain favor from you, but knowing that you have paid the price for our sins and that we now can live in faith. I pray that that would become more real and more true to us today. I pray that we would fall in love with your word, that we would allow it to um, hone in on our sin and to, to root out our sin. And may it chip away at us. And may we see you more clearly. I pray that as we um, depart here today, that we would uh, be a church that is constantly lifting each other up, that's reaching out to each other throughout the week, uh, that just doesn't leave here and shelf our Bible and pick it up again next Sunday, but that we would be people of the word and people of prayer, that we would live by faith, God. I pray that you would encourage us in that. Help us to, to see you more clearly. Pray you would bless the remainder of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.